It's another great day to talk about what happens inside the boardroom. Welcome to Board Vision, the official podcast of the NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors. On this show, we share perspectives from leading corporate directors, discuss what makes boards effective, how they can help companies face challenges today and become future ready. Do you ever wonder what other corporate leaders have done and continue to do to earn seats on private corporate boards? Elena Loveland, editor-in-chief of NACD's Directorship Magazine, sits down with Lynn Clark, the 2021 NACD Directorship 100 Private Company Director of the Year, to explore her board journey. Lynn currently serves on the board of A. Dewey Pyle, Basic American Foods, and the Volrath Company. Let's learn from Lynn's journey of board service as she discusses the steps that she took to become a director of large private companies, her experiences on family company boards, and her wisdom about CEO succession, corporate purpose, and so much more. But first, here's a word from our partner. Want to dive deeper into the boardroom hot topics referenced in NACD's annual report? Register today for Deloitte's Board Governance Webinars, hosted by Deloitte's Center for Board Effectiveness. This quarterly series provides board members and executives from across industries and geographies with the opportunity to connect and hear insights on topics prevalent on many board agendas today. Learn more and register at Deloitte.com US slash board webinars. Can you tell us how you discovered NACD and how long you've been involved with the organization? I learned about NACD when I was in Atlanta as a CEO of a company and a person that I had met through another board organization said, hey, why don't you come to an NACD lunch? And I was really impressed with the content in the lunch and the quality of the people that I met. And then I was invited to join a very small group for monthly CEO breakfasts. And they were like a YPO forum, which is full confidentiality. And you can talk about anything you want to talk about. So for the 10 or so CEOs in the room, we were able to use that group almost as our kitchen cabinet. And they helped me solve a really sticky board situation when I was just new to a board. So long story short, I was asked uh, several years after that to join the board of NACD Atlanta. And then we go from there. So in the beginning, it was chapters and you've moved to national recognition as being private company director of the year. How did you feel when you received the word that you were getting that award? So I was thrilled and actually surprised. I have a great respect for my fellow board colleagues that you could call them competitors, certainly in the structure of the private company director of the year. And I was nominated, you know, as one of a hundred or so corporate directors and to be recognized by my peers as the private company director of the year was pretty exciting and thrilling because of the quality of my competitors. So that was my first feeling. And then my second feeling was for the CEOs that I work with as a board member, their letters of recommendation, their kind words were frankly really overwhelming when I had a chance to read those letters after. 
I was told about the award. That, uh, that meant a tremendous amount to me. Frankly, their words are more important to me than any national recognition because it says that I have an impact, a positive um, impact on the boards that I work with. And then the last feeling I had is something that you hope everyone has these feelings about their parents. My mom in particular really inspired me to never stop learning, never stop growing, never stop always, always reaching to be the best and continuing to strive forward and not let anyone limit me, not let anyone limit my vision for the future. And let's pretty much how I live my life. Three things, three, three very strong feelings when I learned. That background really does put you on the path to always striving for success before even NACD. How did you decide you wanted to do board service and how did you find that first role? So I would love to say that I was very strategic about building a board portfolio or a board career. When I was at PepsiCo, uh, I was inspired by the CEO, the first female CEO of Pepsi, who is unfortunately no longer with us. She retired from Pepsi at a very young age and then joined several Fortune 50 company boards. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. And I was fairly young in my career, and she had been a mentor for me. And so when I had my first CEO role, and I was CEO for a private equity firm. I started to learn more about it. I was involved in a women's leadership group, and I was on the board of that women's leadership group. And we took it upon ourselves back in early 2000s to make sure that we could start to help other women executives begin their board journeys. And so kind of everything came together. We did some publicity. I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and we, we did, the group did some publicity that appeared in the business section of the daily newspaper uh, in Philadelphia. And a company there called and said, hey, we want someone with a strong consumer products background and a retail background. And I happened to be one of the few people in this organization that had those two elements in their background and was introduced and off I went. So that was a relatively small privately held company. And I joined that board in, gee, I think it was 2001 or 2002. That was really the first step and it was a tiny little step. But the bigger step was several years after this, I received a recruiter call, as many of us do, for a Coca-Cola bottler board. And when you work for PepsiCo or Coca-Cola, hey, you know, your nemesis is the other company, the old, the old soda wars for sure. And so my first reaction was, well, I don't think I could ever, you know, work for Coca-Cola. And I met the board, uh, several of whom were shareholders of the company as a privately held, family held business, a large company. And oddly enough, I had competed with them when I was at PepsiCo in one of the jobs that I had. And so long story short, I joined the Abarta Coca-Cola board in 2009 and served on that board for 13 years. And that was really, truly the start of my 
board journey that led me to our conversation today. That's great to learn that background about you. What do you think that first board experience that you had, are there any lessons learned that you had earlier on that helped you with future challenges maybe on boards? You know, I learn lessons every day, whether it's serving on boards or doing volunteer work or helping early stage companies get to the profit stage and helping to sell them. What I'd say the biggest lesson was is not so much from any board or any particular experience that pops into my head. It's really understanding who you are as a person and valuing the people around you, no matter what it is they do or don't do. And so that value for people that you interact with, whether they serve you in a restaurant or they're a CEO of a company, always valuing the people around you and treating them the way you want to be treated is something that board service just reinforces. The people that I've worked with on the dozen or so boards I've been on over 15-ish kind of years, that's the most important thing to me. And it's the thing that I look first at when I'm interviewing for a board or being considered for a board. Looking back at all those experiences you've had on boards, are there any particular greatest accomplishments or your your biggest highlight that you think has contributed to becoming the private company director of the year? I actually don't think in terms of the word proud, really for anything, but particularly for boards, I really think about where I've had the biggest impact. We all know that one of the key roles of any board is to make sure that we have a good secession plan in place. And so that's one of the most important things and the most impactful things I've done for a company that I chaired was to replace the CEO and bring on a new one. I've had the opportunity to lead a search committee or be a part of a board where we decided that it was time to replace the CEO or the CEO decided it was time to replace that CEO because it was a retirement time. But let me talk about one experience where the board made a unanimous decision that the CEO was not doing what he needed to do for the organization. And so we terminated him at the beginning of 2020. Yes, just before COVID. And we, of course, had a secession plan in place. And we figured we would need that three months or so. Well, of course, none of us planned COVID. And so I was interim CEO for about nine months. And that had a positive impact on the company, but a really positive impact on the CEO that we brought in. And there are two pieces to that. He was coming into the company as the uh, the first time he had ever been a standalone CEO. He had been a division GM for a large company. And I had done that same trek when I left PepsiCo. I had been a division GM. And then I went to become a standalone CEO for a private equity company. And I said to myself after that experience, boy, if I ever have the opportunity or I'm in the situation where I have to help a new CEO 
get acclimated when that CEO had never been a standalone before, here are a handful of things I would do. So I'm really glad to be able to have helped this CEO get up to speed quickly. I coached, I led him, and I was better at it than I would have been just as a chair because of that interim CEO role that I had during COVID. So it's a positive COVID thing. For me, that's one of the more impactful things that I've done. And he's, he's gone on to be a great CEO. The second thing I would say um, that was most impactful goes back to the Barta Coca-Cola board, where the board led a really significant strategic transformation of the company. The Coca-Cola distribution business, bottling and distribution, was one of the companies that the holding company owned. We also had a frozen food brands. We had a newspaper and an oil and gas business. So very diverse. The company had been structured for ages as a holding company, and Coke was just one of the companies it owned. We made a strategic decision, a big one as a board, to divest ourselves of everything but Coca-Cola. And it fit with KO or Coca-Cola corporate's strategy as well. But we as a board really debated whether or not that made sense. I'm very pleased to say it was a great decision for the board. It was an incredible decision for the company and a really awesome decision for the shareholders of the company. So the interaction of the board members, and this is a board that's a majority independent, the dialogue we had, the openness of the dialogue, the ability that we each had to challenge each other really is what drove the success of the company today. And the acquisition of incremental Coke territory and the the sale of the other assets of the company, the other companies, happened about five years ago, and the company is doing incredibly well. The CEO of the company termed it collective genius, which I steal from him on a regular basis and use because that's truly what a high-performing board is. It is collective genius, and it can transform a company really significantly, which is what we as a board did. That's some very inspiring experiences that you've had. I'd love to hear about how other board members did watch out for when they're going through, you know, replacing a CEO. I just finished being on a search committee for a board where I'm the lead independent director. And this CEO is a phenomenal CEO. He's been in place mm, about 10 years and he decided that it was time to retire. And he gave the organization you know, gave us as board members an absolutely clear timeline with enough time to find the right next CEO. And so we structured a search committee that had a family member who's a board member, the CEO who's retiring, and myself. And the first thing we did, and this, this is so important for any board member really any executive to hear, the first thing that we did was really talk about the culture of the company and the culture that the CEO and the shareholders, the family shareholders, have imbued in the organization for, oh, 150 years. And that really drove a variety of actions from the search committee. It drove 
the selection of the recruiter that we used. It drove the development of the spec, which is a truly one of the most key elements that any search committee in replacing a CEO or transitioning a CEO, it's the most important thing you can do. And we spent a good month, if not longer, doing that and a lot of versions of it. And we did it first ourselves as a search committee. And then we gave it to the search firm for their input based on their understanding of market conditions and the types of requirements they've seen from their extensive CEO search experience. So let me give two pieces of advice. One is make sure that your board and your search committee really has a very, very clear, deep understanding of what drives the day-to-day culture in the organization. And that's important because sometimes boards While they know the culture, they don't always spend the time to feel it on a day-to-day basis. And our job isn't to run the business day-to-day, but it is important, especially in a CEO search, to really understand that culture at the day-to-day level. So that's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is make sure that you spend enough time, I'll use this term loosely, but beating up the spec, editing it having each person write it and then come together to put it together and edit it, edit it, and edit it, and have a lot of discussions, not just with the search committee, but with the whole board, because that is the foundation of who you will hire. Those two things are really important in identifying and then bringing on a CEO. And bringing on a new CEO is a long discussion and not for this podcast. Well, you have so much experience with different boards and you've explained these challenges that you've faced and overcome. For people who are aspiring directors or even new directors, how can they find people like you to help mentor them or give them background so when they get in the boardroom and they have tough decisions to make, that they have some knowledge of what the best practices are and how can people like you help them on their journey? My career objective, being a director, was never on the list of things to do. I wanted to be an effective leader. I still want to be that. And I want to, and always have, wanted to be a value builder primarily through brands. Like, how do you build the best brands that really drive shareholder value? And whether that brand is a B2B or a B2C, to use some outdated terms, it's really important to think about how you have an impact throughout your career. So those were my objectives always versus, hey, I want to be on a board. And because of wanting to be a value creator and a value builder, and be an effective leader, I made some unusual career steps. And that's how I ultimately became a CEO. And one of those unusual career steps is I started, you know, marketing career, brand management, and then had an opportunity to go into sales and sales operations. And a lot of my marketing colleagues said, you know, you're crazy to do that. You're going to have to be in the office at like 5am to make sure that the Pepsi trucks get out on the road and you're going to have to work with union employees. And have you ever done that before? How are you going to do that? And oh, by the way, you're a woman and all those people for the most part are guys. Like, how are you going to handle that situation? And in those roles that I had, which led 
to being a division GM and then a CEO, those were some of the best roles in my career. And that first step, moving out of marketing and into ops, was critical because I ended up with P&L ownership at a pretty early stage in my career. And that's ultimately what business is about. It's why you're on a board. It's to help the shareholders, however those are defined, to help drive value for those shareholders. And, and so my advice always is determine what your own career objectives are. Not, hey, I want to be on a board, but what are your career objectives? And then what are the best ways to achieve those? You know, I sit in multiple boardrooms with mostly CEOs, and it would be difficult had I not had general management and then CEO experience to be in those boardrooms. So I, I think CEO experience, owning a P&L, fully owning a P&L is really important part of becoming a board member. So that's, that's some of my advice. The other thing that I have benefited from is when I first joined the Abarta Coca-Cola board, one of the independent directors who had been on the board for a while kind of took me aside and said, hey, Lynn, here are some things to think about. You're not running this business. It's their business to run. It's your business to make sure that they're running the company really well. And a few other pieces of advice. And to this day, Jim serves as my board mentor. And I talk to him on a regular basis. I'm not a pest, but I talk to him uh, regularly. And, and he's such a wise person. It was truly a blessing to have met him very early on in truly my first significant board role. So look for one of those in a board. That's excellent advice. I want to just talk to you very briefly about your role with NACD's Future of the American Board Commission because you were a commissioner and your passion for leadership is really coming through with our conversation here. And I'm just wondering if you can talk about why that work is so important for boards to, to pay attention to. Our country, our world, our businesses, all of our institutions over the last, I don't know, pick a number of years have had to deal with, and I don't mean just COVID, had to deal with incredible amounts of uncertainty. And looking forward, I you know don't see that changing a whole lot, at least as far out as any one of us can look. We hear the term resilience a lot, which is a really great word, but resilience in and of itself isn't enough. And so the framework that the future of the American Board Commission developed after months and many, many meetings, many long meetings, talking about the 10 foundational principles around this framework is a great way for boards to think about uncertainty. It's hard to manage uncertainty, but to think about it in the context of the business. And one of the things that I have tried to share with the boards I currently serve on is this notion, and it's the number one item in the future of the American board framework, and that is the purpose of the corporation. And I'd say of all of the 10 principles, the commission, we debated that the longest, the most thorough. We had a wide range of opinions on that, and it's most important for boards and executives to think about what is the purpose of their company? 
What's the value to the consumer or to the customer? What service, what products, what makes the difference for the ultimate end user or whatever service or product the company provides? And I look at that as truly the foundation that has the other nine principles layered on top of it. So I think it, it, you know, it's so critical because of so much uncertainty and instability for a board to really use, use those principles, maybe not all of them, kind of depends on the company itself and what its purpose is, but to learn from them and structure particularly strategic planning around those notions that we raised as a commission. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom for our listeners and for sharing your story. And we're really proud to have you as NACD's private company director of the year and your continued board service. So thanks for joining us. Well, Elena, thank you. It has truly been a pleasure to talk with you today and uh, look forward to more interesting conversations with you and your NACD colleagues. That concludes this episode of Board Vision. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please subscribe and join us next time. Until then, visit nacdonline.org to stay informed about the latest resources NACD has to offer, such as memberships, certification, national or chapter events, and our content, including reports, articles, and directorship magazine. That's nacdonline.org. Thank you for listening.